Dog Days of Podcasting, day 34, or bonus day number four, our final day. Today is Sunday, September 6th, 2020. Today's topic, COVID-19 vaccines. First, thanks to the three or four or five people who have actually listened to these episodes. I very much enjoyed doing them. I learned a lot doing them. Too bad I'll probably forget most of it. You will notice, maybe surprisingly, that I've avoided talking about COVID-19. Maybe you thought that was going to be the big finale. I did go over coronaviruses in general in episode 24 when discussing SARS and MERS, which, which are both coronaviruses. In a few other episodes, COVID-19 popped up in a brief mention. But generally, I've avoided it because information is changing constantly. Also, you should be, without even trying, you are getting information constantly because we're in the middle of this thing. And finally, it's politically extremely annoying, the whole topic. However, COVID-19 vaccines are going to be very important, so I thought investigating the science of them would be interesting. I was right. In my mind, this is really fascinating stuff. A few things before we get started. Number one, let's review uh, the phases of drug or vaccine trials. Phase one involves 20 to, 20 to 80 healthy volunteers to verify the most frequent side effects of the drug. Also, finding out how the drug is metabolized and excreted. So yeah, they check your pee and all that stuff to see what happens to the drug. If the drug is not too toxic or the vaccine is not toxic, phase two involves 36 to 300 participants to collect preliminary data on whether or not the drug works via controlled trials to compare those receiving the drug versus a placebo. If it is effective, phase three, the biggie, involves 300 to 3,000 or maybe even many more thousands of participants to gather further information on safety, effectiveness, also to, ex to study different populations, to examine various dosages, and using the drug in combination with other drugs to see how effective all that is. If all this goes well, and the FDA, of course, I'm talking about the United States here, but I think most countries have a similar system. If the FDA approves the product, there are still a number of ongoing studies that are required for years or decades, long-term effects, things like this, uh, inspection of manufacturing sites, these type of things. So it kind of never ends. Secondly, let's review the immune system. The immune system is wonderfully, miserably complex. It would be a fascinating field of research. Uh, but we can ponder just now four components of it. The first one is memory B cells. These are the ones that can actually remember foreign invaders. And when they recognize one, they will produce antibodies. When you're infected with a new pathogen, your body takes time to create antibodies. But when your body has memory B cells toward a pathogen, you can create antibodies much more quickly. Memory B cells have the ability to live for many decades in your body, which is very unusual for cells. But it's also why you sometimes have lifelong immunity, immunities to some pathogens. More importantly for a vaccine, are, number two, antibodies themselves, which seek out and find foreign invaders, 
marking it for de destruction. Number three, helper T cells, white blood cells that activate other parts of the immune system. And finally, number four, killer T cells, white blood cells and that infect foreign invaders with toxins and kill them. The best vaccines elicit responses from antibodies and both types of T cells. Note, T cells were mentioned in episode 23 about HIV and AIDS because HIV actually attacks these particular cells. One more note. In this episode, protein, the word protein and the word antigen are the same thing. An antigen is a protein that a foreign, foreign invader displays on its surface that the immune system uses to recognize that it is foreign and that it needs to kill it. For the current coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, the antigen is most likely going to be one of those spike proteins on top of each viral particle, episode 24. Companies will try to make vaccines that include this spike protein antigen for the immune system to practice on and to create memory B cells against so that when it actually does see SARS-CoV-2 in your body, it will be really ready to kill it. Thanks to research beginning, beginning in 2002 on the original SARS and then the MERS viruses, episode 24, scientists knew to focus their initial attention on the spike protein of this new SARS-CoV-2 virus. Note, I commented in that episode that with more scientific research funding, our odds of a quick COVID-19 vaccine would improve. That you will, as you will see, uh, what research was done is making a huge difference. Support scientific research, people. Okay, let's get to the COVID-19 vaccines. According to the Milken Institute, a think tank, there are 210 COVID-19 vaccines in development. In development, the New York Times coronavirus vaccine tracker says that as of today, among those 210 vaccines, there are 24 in phase one trials, 14 in phase two, and nine in phase three. There are three vaccines approved for limited or early use in other countries. Vaccines in general can be put into two big groups. Number one, protein or antigen-based, which include a killed virus, an attenuated or weakened virus, or a subunit vac vaccine. The other big group are gene-based vaccines, which include DNA vaccines, RNA vaccines, or viral vector vaccines that can deliver RNA or DNA. Gene-based vaccines carry the genetic instructions for the host's cells to make the antigen right in the patient, as opposed to giving them the antigen. Okay, let's go with that big first group, the protein or antigen-based vaccines that could become COVID-19 vaccines. A killed coronavirus is the first type. Uh, Jonas Salk's polio vaccine is an example we've talked about in episode 22. Also, flu vaccines use this approach. A number of companies are pursuing this approach for SARS-CoV-2. The private Chinese company Sinovac Biotech is testing an inactivated vaccine, a killed vaccine called Coronavac. The Chinese government gave the Sinovac vaccine an emergency approval for limited use. It's one of these three that have been approved. Meanwhile, Sinovac has been 
preparing to manufacture the vaccine, reaching an agreement to supply, to supply Indonesia with at least 40 million doses. What about attenuated or weakened coronaviruses, coronavirus vaccines? Kropowski's polio vaccine is one of these, also episode 22. Also, vaccines against rabies, measles, mumps, rubella are weakened or attenuated vaccines. The only definite COVID-19 attenuated vaccine approach I saw in trials, and it's only phase one, is being pursued by Merck, based upon using a weakened measles virus to deliver the spike protein antigen. Pretty interesting. One problem with killed virus vaccines, from what I can tell, is that they don't elicit a killer T-cell response. Evidently, the immune system can tell when something's already dead and doesn't send killer T-cells after it. Attenuated or weakened virus vaccines can elicit a better immune response, but can be more problematic for folks with co compromised immune systems. There are also subunit vaccines. These use just a small section of a part of the virus, such as the spike protein antigen. Because these vaccines use only specific pieces of the pathogen, they give a very strong immune response that's targeted to those key parts of that pathogen. They can also be used on almost everyone who needs them, including people with weakened immune systems and long-term health problems. These types of vaccines are already used for hepatitis B, whooping cough, and HPV. The problem with proteins is that they can be difficult to make, and there are some other manufacturing type issues. I found no companies in phase three trials with this approach, but a bunch in phase one and two. Curiously though, two different tobacco companies, this is interesting, two different tobacco companies, the big one, Philip Morris, and also British American Tobacco out of Kentucky, are engineering tobacco plants to make SARS-CoV-2 antigens. So these tobacco plants will make the antigen spike protein. The Kentucky company previously used this technique to make a drug called ZMAP for Ebola. Also curious is that North Korea North Korea announced that they have a SARS-CoV-2 spike protein vaccine in clinical trials. Of course, nobody can verify this because news is all hidden there. What's more, North Korea said that some trials would have to be carried out in another country since there are no cases of COVID-19 in North Korea. Outside experts find this highly doubtful. To the second main group of vaccines, the gene vaccines. Again, what they do, in the case of, a, of coronaviruses, the antigen of interest is the surface spike protein the virus uses to bind and fuse with human cells. Gene vaccines do not give them the spike protein antigen, but instead gives them the genetic material that instructs them how to make, that instructs them how to make the, that antigen for the immune system to recognize. These vaccines elicit all three components of the immune system, antibodies, helper T cells, and killer T cells. So let's get to DNA vaccines. Naked DNA is encapsulated in a nanoparticle. A, a nanoparticle, imagine a, a tiny, tiny microscopic soap bubble, and then you just put a naked DNA right in it. That would be encapsulated in a nanoparticle. And that is injected into you, okay? 
and the DNA is taken up by some cells, such as the skin cells, right near the site of injection, all right? How does that happen? How does the DNA get into your skin cells? Believe it or not, according to Wikipedia, the mechanism of DNA uptake is not known. I find that really bizarre. So we're pursuing with something we don't even know exactly how it works, but that's not uncommon in science. Anyway, this DNA, after entering a cell, like a skin cell, produces the spike protein, because the DNA can do that, uh, and that spike protein will then sit on top of the skin cell, will go out and skid on top of the skin cell, eliciting an immune response to that protein. So yeah, your immune system will now think one of your skin cells is SARS-CoV-2, and it will kill it and it will create memory B cells towards it. So you sacrifice a few skin cells to become immune. At least this is how I'm understanding it, which is super cool, but don't be surprised if I'm somewhat incorrect with all this. Uh, DNA as a vaccine is highly promising because it's really easy to design and manufacture, and DNA is stable at room temperature for at least some time, so less refrigeration is needed. These technical things are important. They also elicit a robust immune response and are relatively safe and well-tolerated. This all adds up to cheap and fast, on top of hopefully being a great vaccine. There are, as of yet, no approved DNA vaccines that exist. The German company CureVac, which if you recall, Donald Trump tried to buy for the US, is in phase two trials with this type of COVID-19 vaccine. Innovio Pharmaceuticals in San Diego is pursuing this as well. As an aside, my last job before moving to Ohio was at a company called Integrated DNA Technologies in Iowa City, Iowa. That company makes little pieces of DNA very rapidly and ships, ships them out to researchers around the world to make. I actually didn't make the DNA myself. I worked on special projects. Uh, the DNA is made by technicians using automated machines, basically robots. But they send out hundreds and hundreds of these every single day to researchers around the world. Really amazing company. Okay, anyway, uh, how about an RNA vaccine? RNA vaccines have a leg up on DNA vaccines uh, it's because there's less steps. So to review, in a DNA vaccine, that DNA has to first enter the host cell the skin cell, for example, then it has to get into that cell's nucleus. From there, it produces RNA. The RNA has to travel back out of the nucleus into the cytoplasm to produce the spike protein. An RNA vaccine skips all of the DNA steps. You've got the RNA right there. So it just needs to get into the host cell, the skin cell, and to make the spike protein. So it could be quicker and faster and everything, theoretically. Like DNA, RNA is also very easy to make and it's stable. Potential RNA vaccines against rabies, influenza, and Zika virus are in trials. I don't think there is an RNA vaccine approved for use either, like same as DNA vaccines. Pfizer and, Mo it's either called Moderna or Moderna. I don't know which it's called. Pfizer and Moderna, Moderna are in phase three trials with a COVID-19 RNA vaccine. If you recently heard in the news that there may be a vaccine available before the election, it might be one of these two they're talking about, the Pfizer or the 
Moderna RNA vaccine. I, I'm not sure. They didn't say, I think, but could have been one of those. Moderna has been given $2.5 billion by our government to develop this, and Pfizer has been given $1.9 billion. Party time for those companies. Can you imagine the parties they had in the offices when they got that money? Anyway, this would be the first approved RNA vaccine, I think. In August, Pfizer said it was on track to seek regulatory review of their vaccine as early as October 2020, next month. If, if approved, Pfizer has said that they expect to manufacture over 1.3 billion, billion doses of their vaccine worldwide by the end of 2020. Another note, uh, a couple weeks ago, I actually signed up for a COVID-19 vaccine trial about a week ago, actually, I got one phone call, which was a pre-screen. They asked me only like 10 questions and I passed the pre-screen. So I'm waiting for another call. Uh, I don't know yet which vaccine this is. I'm guessing it's the Moderna trial, but I don't know yet. I will find out or I won't let myself be enrolled. But I thought about doing a whole bunch of episodes on what it'd be like to be in a vaccine trial, but I'm sure people are sick of this. Anyway, uh, the last gene vaccine that uh, in these two groups, the last uh, yeah, the last gene vaccine is a viral vector vaccine. The viral vector technique transport genetic transports genetic information for the SARS-CoV-2 antigen in a less harmful virus, often a common cold virus like adenovirus AAV. We call chapter uh, episodes ten and thirty-one. Janssen, the company Janssen's new viral vector Ebola vaccine received European authorization in July. Viral vector vaccines are also relatively easy to make and very safe using CRISPR, episode 31. That's how you can make them. The University of Oxford and Johnson & Johnson are in phase three trials with this approach. In August, the federal government agreed to pay Johnson & Johnson $1 billion for 100 million doses doses if the vaccine is approved. Also, if you just heard that Russia was about to manufacture millions of doses of a vaccine, that's a viral vector vaccine. They called it Sputnik 5, which is hilarious. Anyway, they, they said that they were going to start manufacturing all this these, uh, vac these doses of this vaccine, even though they had not even done phase three trials. There was an outcry from scientists and so Russia kind of walked it back and said, okay, we'll do the trials. Good idea, Russia. So that's it for all of the, uh, those two general types of vaccines, these subunit vaccines or the gene vaccines. There is one other type, and that's a repurposed vaccine. So the BCG vaccine, the tuberculosis vaccine, was developed in the early 1900s. That's episode 29. The Murdoch Children's Research Institute in Australia is conducting is conducting a phase three trial to see if the BCG vaccine partly protects against the coronavirus based on the seeming ability of BCG, BCG to, quote, train the immune system to recognize and respond to a variety of infections, including viruses, bacteria, and par parasites. Uh, I talked about that in BCG vaccine in episode 29. And that is it for all the... Uh, pandemics and everything else. One last thing. I know this is my longest episode now. I apologize. But I'd like to give a big, big shout out to all the scientists throughout history and today who have worked to understand infections and to develop treatments and vaccines and indeed to all scientists in general. 
I think it's a shame and a tragedy that scientists are not held in higher regard. While of course some scientists are flawed and some of them are personally reprehensible and they are criminal, you can find that in any group of people. Uh, but in general, their enthusiasm for knowledge and skills and for making the world a better place are amazing. And they have saved hundreds of millions of lives and or made, made life better or more enjoyable for all of us. A slice of the population understands this. Others give them a passing nod, which is good, but there's still a significant chunk and probably growing of the population that has downright disdain for scientists led by certain political and religious leaders. Indeed, they mock the, the word indeed, they mock the word expert in an attempt to elevate their own warped priorities, which are not, not backed by evidence or even decency. I see this from the mouths of politicians and on social media daily. I have little hope it will stop, but maybe the generations after mine can make things change. Anyway, the fun with pandemics is over for now. Again, sorry for this long final episode. I do hope you enjoyed all of this. After this, we'll be back to topics in endurance sports.